Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to invest in yourself by tuning in today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, in fact, if you are more than in fact, let me say this again, so excited about today's topic, and you're going to see why in just a second. In fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week for the Business Creators Radio Show are all four of the above. Please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you. And be sure to subscribe for fresh content added to your iTunes every single week and immediate access to over 200 episodes on a variety of topics relevant to business creators today. Now, I'm very excited about today's topic, uh, and it's about how to create a high-performing culture. In my work working with organizations as a consultant, as a coach, as a mentor, and a guide, I find that many times it's the hundred little things that we let seep into our organization or that we tolerate or that we sometimes don't even recognize are among those hundred little things that can trip us up on the big issues. It's like the, um, the little pebble in your shoe that makes it impossible for you to walk. Now, what we want to look at today is more on more of a macro level and more of a total level, how to create a high-performing culture. And to share with that, share that with us today, we have Jason True. Jason is an executive coach who works with executives, entrepreneurs, and high-performing individuals to maximize their leadership and performance. His bestseller, Social Wealth, which is the how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships, has sold more than 45,000 copies. He's been a featured speaker at TEDx Wilmington 2017 and created a unique team-building game called Cards Against Mundanity, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He also has a podcast called Executive Breakthroughs, where he interviews game-changing entrepreneurs and executives. Jason, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Adam. Always very happy. I've been looking forward to this for a while. And as I said, it's been, you know, great to chat with you again. It's been a while. Uh, what I'd like to do before we dive into the information you're going to be sharing with us today, which uh, I'll let our listeners in on a secret. He and I had a brief chat in the green room. You best have a pad and two pens out because he's going to be giving you a ton of stuff. But before we get into that, for those of you who are just getting a chance to get to know Jason and find out what Jason's all about, um, if you could just tell us a little bit more about your personal journey and how it has led you to where you are today serving business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Well, I mean, as every entrepreneur has, it's a pretty windy journey. I mean, I started off going to law school, and I just didn't really feel that that fulfilling. And so I started on my tech journey and went out to in Silicon Valley during the heyday. And I had a you know fantastic opportunity to work with some really great uh, people, organizations, and so that was a pretty great time in my life. And then I decided to move to Dallas to be closer to family. And, uh, you know, I was here, I just got, I, I realized that there were more opportunities to be on my own and start my own business than there were to continue on to corporate America. And so 
I just, you know, had, got it as a side hustle, did it on the side for a while, proved um, the model out, and then, you know, made the switch and just started down my road. Wow. Uh, you know, you know what's funny is um, I myself was thinking about law school. I went to Penn State. I was a political science major, and I was thinking, I'm going to do this law school thing. Well, what happened is right before it was time for me to graduate from Penn State, I attended a seminar who was taught by a renowned corporate attorney. I mean, this guy was brilliant. He was brutal. He was bloody. He was mesmerizingly charismatic. It was only a three-hour seminar, but I wish I could have stayed forever. And by the time he was done, there was no way in hell I was going to touch the legal career with a 10-foot pole. Now, I have huge respect for the legal profession. We've had attorneys on the Business Creators Radio Show, and a couple of our regular listeners who actually write to us almost every week are attorneys, or in one case, a coach who helps attorneys grow their marketing and their practice, but not for me. And so I thought it was so funny, Jason, that you had kind of the same experience. And then another thing that was very similar is uh, after I finished my undergrad, I went into the world and I did the, you know, I did the whole McJob route and everything else. Uh, and then I went back for my MBA uh, in human resource management. I came out of my MBA school from Duquesne University. I got a couple job offers. Um, in fact, in one of the cases, the company wasn't even hiring. They just decided to create a position for me because uh, we had had some great conversations about where we could work together to provide value. But what happened is, is I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, and I started a little consulting firm that did research for training and development firms. And then two years later, I made the jump, yep. and 13 years later, here we are. So it's funny how that trajectory happens, and it's been like that with a lot of the people we've had on the Business Creators Radio Show on both sides of the, the microphone, both those of us um, on the host side and those of us on the listening side. Uh, funny how that is. And I think it's a beautiful thing, and we want to support our business creators as they continue down that journey. So what we want to talk about today, as I said, is creating a high-performing culture. Uh, in my work, I tend to work with uh, companies uh, size 2 to 10 employees, uh, mid-six digits uh, to early seven digits. And uh, we run a range of our listeners, everything from solopreneurs to mid-sized companies that have 40 or 50 employees. So we have a pretty wide audience here, which is great. But I think the, um, I think the issues are going to be somewhat similar regardless of where you are. It's a matter of scale and individual circumstance. But overall, Jason, in your work with companies, what do you find prevents most people from maximizing their potential in their business or in their career? Well, I think one is that people are not – I think organizations are not focusing enough um, on building connections and relationships inside of their own organizations and not really right. leveraging the power of that. And that's costing huge amounts of dollars. In fact, I would probably venture to say that most businesses are underperforming. I think if you look at your revenue for 2017 – if you start to follow some of the stuff we're talking about, I bet you make 25% more without doing a single thing next year. If you actually get people more motivated and understand each other better in the organization and build more solid relationships, because the data all supports all that. It's just that people ignore it because they think, oh, well, that's not really, that, that can't be true. That's not really going to make a difference in my business because how can Susie or Joe actually perform that much better 
without me getting them any more training or any more ability or any more knowledge or experience. That's not possible. Well, you're wrong. And uh, if you look at the data, which is massive across the board, it, it points to building deeper relationships inside your organization and investing in those people, which could cost you probably zero, actually. If, and I can tell you how to do it for zero um, and do the same things that companies like Google are doing. And obviously, we all know that that's a pretty sizable organization that's been relatively successful over a long period of time. I, you know, I tried not to laugh out loud at that uh, when you said the made the remark about companies that uh, don't think that it applies to them. And I can tell you, having been on the front lines, uh, both as an employee of companies and working as a consultant with companies, uh, how many times you go and, like, let's say, well, there's no way I could get Susie to be 25% more productive based on what I've already given her and based on the fact that I already employ her and she works here and the money I pay her. And I'm thinking, you know, in all these conversations we have about Susie, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is we don't ask her. Or we ask her in such a way where she knows that if she doesn't give the quote-unquote right answer, it'll come back to bite her in a hundred ways she won't even perceive. So that's, that's my reaction to that. I tried not to laugh out loud uh, when, when you said that, but you and I both know it to be so true. So um, you know, what can we do to help increase some of these connections so that Susie doesn't feel left out and so, so that Susie feels more represented? Well, I think one, you know, the interesting data when I started to do the research for my TED Talk I just did over the last year and I started to dig into it, you know, I found some interesting data points. One is employee with a close work friend is seven times more productive and loyal. A replacement okay. cost for an employee will cost, can cost you anywhere between 100% and 300% of their salary to rehire that same person, right? Um, loneliness is dangerous in smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 42% of people wow. have no connections inside of an organization at all, no matter what the size of it is. And the data that's been they've done by Gallup is 70% of employees are disengaged, and this is from a two-person organization up to a Fortune you know, 100 organization. It, the data stays pretty similar across the board. And so when you look at all those stats, you think to yourself logically, okay, the people that I like, right, let's forget about friendship. What people I like, I work better with, I resolve conflicts, I collaborate better, I communicate better, I brainstorm better, I do everything better with at and at a very high level. And so the real start is you've got to get people to start to like each other and to know each other. And I think how you think about this conceptually, even at a high level, is that people, what they do outside of work and inside of work is exactly the same. They are one person. They are not two separate people. There is no dividing line. You cannot ask him to do that because it's not humanly possible. So we try to create this work-life balance that's a joke because that's not how your <laughs> brain works or anything else, right? I mean, that's it's work-life integration. So it's important right. to know people as, mu as much of people outside of work as inside of work, right? And that's, that's like concept number one. Two is people, if you own a business today, I don't care whether it's five people 
or five, you know, 500,000 people, what people do outside of work will affect your business and you have to start managing their personal lives as if, if it was your own. And you have to look out for them and help them and help them through issues, right? So I'll give you an example, right? I, I mean, and the bigger the organization, the more money that that actually puts back in. But for a small organization, it can mean a significant amount of capital increase, right? If someone's going through a divorce or they're having problems with their kids at home or whatever it might be, right, or have newborn kids or whatever it's going to be, that's, pro- that's affecting your business by anywhere from probably 25 to 50% of their productivity because their mind's not in the game. Because I work with people like right. this, and I know what they're doing because I plot their time, ask them what's going on in their head, see how distressed they are, um, and see what else is going on, right? So you have to manage this stuff and understand that. And then you've got to find people. The third thing is finding people who have shared experiences, right? That's the easiest way to start creating people like each other, right, is to get to know each other better, and create some shared experiences where you can relate and have common ground, right? Because just like everyone on here has met someone in their lifetime, I don't care if it's only one person, where you felt like after five minutes you knew that person like they were your best friend. Well, you can create that in any organization across the board pretty simply. It's just that we try to make these things so complex and talk about culture at a 50,000th of view when it really comes down is to people liking each other, knowing each other, understanding your shared struggles, your histories, whatever's going on, and sharing that together, which can be done, again, for close to zero. So there's no excuse not to do it. It's just being lazy and not thinking that it matters. But, but you know, if I tell you all this, that every person in the organization that you have right now, if you sit them down and if they could start picking teams, they would start picking people that they like first. Well, that goes to show you that even if someone's more productive and better in your organization, that person is going to pick someone they like because they know they can count on them because they trust them more. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, you know that's, a, that's a topic that uh, I think uh, is so underreported on and uh, gets so little consideration where it deserves so much more consideration is the idea of having a work friend. Uh, because I remember when I started with that company I ended up working for for four years where I actually got involved working in the training department and doing training and education for employees and stakeholders. You know, that first job where I was actually starting to taste my career. And uh, my supervisor uh, gave me some advice uh, when I first got started. And I'm thinking, if this is the advice he's giving me, maybe I should quit now. <laughs> so he said, you, yep. when you look around these people, you got to think of yourself as having just been sentenced to prison and you're starting to do your 10-year bid. you got to look around and you got to be real careful. What friend are you going to make here? And wow, That's that crazy. didn't like discourage me. <laughs> that didn't discourage me. Uh, but at the same time, the fact is, you are going to find somebody, hopefully, in your workspace that you can collaborate with, who you can connect with. And I would say that if three to six months go by and you're working for a company and you haven't made a work friend, then one of two things are happening. Either you might want to pay attention to this within yourself and look at why don't I have a work friend, or you might want to look around at the workplace and say, do I need to be here? And from the employer's perspective, and this is where I want your thoughts on this, are they creating an environment 
where people can have work friends? I, my answer would be no. And I think there's two things to separate out. One is having a work friend, I think is important. And most people should be able to find that within, I don't care any size organization, but the other part of it is just liking people. You can like people and not have them as your friends. And so I think there's, there's two things. One, I think it's important to have an out. I think it's important to have an outlet at work, meaning that you do have a friend because the reality of, of work today is if you work, 40 to 50 or 60 hours, right? Or you can even work more. You could probably tax easy another 20 to 30% of your time that's thinking about it outside of work, right? So the reality oh, is yeah. most people are working anywhere from 70 to 100 hours in a week, right? When you really think about they're thinking about it, engaging on it, whatever it might be. So you need to have a place that you enjoy going to, and you have to have someone there that you care about at some level, but also you just got to like the people that you're working with at some level or at least get to a place where it's in a neutral level, right? And I think a lot of the problem is if you think about the conflicts of the people that you have, it's just you don't really know them. And you feel like they don't like you or they've done things or you've done things to them or whatever it might be. But the reality is, is that if you break a lot of that down, there's a lot of misunderstandings because you haven't communicated. You've never sat down and hashed it out or had a thing, and you also really probably don't know much about them. Where do they grow up? What do they like to do? What's been some of their hardships in their life? Um, I think all of those things got you need to go on, and I think if you're an employer and you're running a business, that's your job because the more – because when I talk to – I have my clients, and I've, I went in and I asked their people that they manage, why do you stay up to 2, 3 a.m. in the morning emailing or doing work? When I got down to the nitty-gritty, it wasn't because they wanted to make another six figures, seven figures, eight, whatever it might be. It's because they didn't want to disappoint their manager, which is – that's what it was. So everyone in your organization will work a lot more if they, if they know you care about them and have a personal investment in them because they won't want to let you down. And that's the critical nature. And how does that happen? Well, you have to create trust by, with people, and it is through caring. And the only way you care about someone is to show an interest and get to know them at a deep personal level, right? And, like, I invented this game, and I did this research, and I, was fall I, I stumbled across this research with this guy, Arthur Aaron Beck, and it's in 1997. And he was running different experiments with grad students to really figure out how can I create um, friendships with people really quickly, right? And so he did a bunch of experiments, and the one that was the most successful was he had uh, people – um, ask each other 36 questions, and they were sort of relatively not that vulnerable in the beginning, and they really got to the point where people were having to really share deep things about themselves, such as if you could pick one year of your life to do over, which one would it be and why, right? Um, and what they found after just 45 minutes of asking each other 36 questions back and forth, 30% of the people in the initial group, and every group after that they ran for more than a decade, that 30% of the people that they, that they met in the group or the group met felt that that relationship they just created was deeper and closer than the closest relationship in their life. Yeah. After 45 minutes, right? Go ahead. <laughs> so after 45 minutes, and so I think, you know, and the first group was 50-some people, right? So that's impressive. But then after that, they found out 57% of the people got together at – on their own afterwards, and they weren't even measuring that, and one of the people from the initial group got married, 
and invited everyone there. And they've replicated wow. this. And the, and the reality is, is that by asking questions of other people, you get to know them much faster. Because what happens is, is that if I know Adam over a long period of time, eventually I'm going to get to know him and everything about him, right? But the issue is, is you don't have to wait 10 years to do it if you actually run it someone where you're asking questions and people just share it, right? And I've done this. And the first thing is people say, well, who's going to share in a group like that? Everyone does. Because people want to get to know each other and express themselves and talk. But people just aren't running things like that and doing it. And that essentially is free. Right. Yeah, very – yeah, I mean, you've raised some incredible points here. I mean, this is, this is almost like a mini-seminar. I'm, I'm really enjoying this a lot. What I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, – before we talk about it from more from the leader's perspective, I want to jump ahead a little bit, and let's talk a little bit more about what else organizations can do to leverage culture to increase performance and increase employee retention. We've already talked about a few things, but I want to see what else is out there before we move on to the leadership perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just recognizing people, right? And I think and part of what you do is you can do things in a smaller organization um, by having other people recognize people in the group, right? And I think that's right. extremely powerful, right? I mean, that's one thing that you can do. I think also just sitting down and getting to know people and sharing, le leveraging their suggestions and ideas and putting them back in the organization make people feel valued. I think a lot of the stuff is just really just common sense that people aren't doing because their ego gets in the way. I mean, right. and if you put that aside and you realize it doesn't matter where the idea comes from, we just, the organization needs to move better in a better place, right? The other things you can do is invest in employees and help them understand, you know, where their challenges are, um, such as blind spots they may not be seeing. Um, invest in them so they can build up their skill sets that they already have. And I'm talking more about leadership, management, other things that are real emotional intelligence, other things that are critical for creating communication, collaboration, and working together, but also if you're going to have better relationships with clients, prospects, and everyone else, right? And so I think right. you've got to take a look at and invest in people and that because the little bit of money that you spend the ROI will be extremely high because they just see it with my clients right now. I mean, I don't have a client right now that's not getting a significant ROI back in their business because the first thing is their blind spots are what's hurting them because I can't see them. And those are how they're interacting with other people. And if you change that, you're going to be more successful because you're going to improve relationships and get more money out of that person or you're going to be way more successful selling, right, or leading or managing or whatever it is and getting much more productivity out of people. So I think right. you've got to help people in those areas, and then things get significantly better very fast, too. It's not a long process. Right, right, right. Agreed, agreed. So, uh, so now let's flip over to the leadership perspective a little bit, if we could, Jason, and tell us, you know, what can sure. leaders do? to increase their influence and effectiveness in the organization, starting from the top? Yeah, so I think one of the things that happens, and I just covered a second ago, is I think people's blind spots really haunt them more than anything else. Because I went back just out of curiosity to my own clients, because I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, what's been the most beneficial part of my own engagement, either with my current ones or clients I've had, so I can learn from it and build upon it 
And it wasn't really that surprising, but every single client of mine said the internal work that we were doing was the most valuable, pointing out their blind spots, helping them forgive people they were harboring ill will, um, stop, you know, outsourcing their own power, right? I mean, other things that were internal things to them that they couldn't see or patterns that were actually sabotaging their own success were the things that are the, you need to focus on the most. Because you can't become a better leader if the memory in the back of your head is mommy and daddy telling you to shut up all the time when you're a little kid, right? Or True. maybe that some other thing trauma happened to you at some point going on as well, right? Maybe that happened at school, whatever it's going to be. You know, I found every single client of mine had something under the age of 10 years old that was a major stumbling block in their current life, right? Every single right. one. And I bet if I interviewed everyone on the show, I could find it within 60 minutes or less, right? It's not that long to take to get through this, but that's what's holding people back as a leader, right? Because if you get that point, you, you're, if, you, if that stumbling block is there and you don't feel like you have a voice, you're not going to be able to stand in front of a group of people, whether it's three people or, you know, a hundred people and really be able to be vulnerable, share your own truth, um, care about people, give an impassioned speech because that back of your head, you're going to be thinking, I don't belong here. I don't deserve this. I'm not, you know, I can't really do this. And then what happens is those people sense that, and then you sabotage your own leadership ability. So you need to focus on that first and then focus on external skill sets, like being a better leader or a manager or whatever it might be, salesperson, um, sales manager, doesn't matter what it might be. Oh, I mean, as far as things that may be, tripping us up from our childhoods or what have you, um, you could find mine in a lot less than 60 seconds. Uh, I'm fully aware of what a lot of these things are. And what I've also discovered is as we go through life, uh, we end up peeling back more layers. So let's say you discover one thing that happened to you, maybe in your childhood or in a previous relationship or a previous job that has been tripping you up now. So let's, let, let's resolve that one. The next thing you know, we're going to find out there's another one. There's another, there's another one that's, uh, that's going to be coming into play here. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that it's, it's part of the ongoing discovery process. But that stuff is there, and you don't uh, – and, and it, sometimes you don't realize it until you take the time to consciously pay attention to it. Like, uh, you know, that company I mentioned I worked for for four and a half years, and the first two and a half years – um, I had a supervisor. I mean, I think the guy is fantastic. Um, I still think of him as one of the transformational mentors in my life. Um, I view him as the type of supervisor who was a, who was a real pain in the ass to work for. But um, I can't really think of anybody else who's, you know, during my corporate days who actually cared about me the way he did. But I, I found out a couple years after I became an entrepreneur as a result of to something completely unrelated, that um, my challenges relating to that supervisor all stem from an incident that happened to me when I was 14 years old, and uh, I didn't get a perfect report card. Yep. It's like when that revelation hit, and it was due to something unrelated, it, it was almost like, can I rewind six years and do this over again? Because I'll be so much further ahead if I can just have those six years back and just uh, – I mean, if I could get it done in a day, that would be great, so I don't have to take too long. But I'd like to do this again if I could. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I think that's why 
you just have to go back and usually from when you, when you see people sit down, there's usually things that have happened in a pattern that's occurred over your entire life. And I think that's where you start solving first because that's usually the max amount of pain. And I find that when you do that, a lot of times a lot of other problems in your life could go away. And it's, and then you're also it's a personal life, right? Because, again, the things that you're doing in business, you're doing in your personal life as well. They're one and the same for yeah. the most part. 80% of it overlaps, um, I find, for people. So when you help one area, you actually do the other simultaneously with zero work. That's why you get such a big lift off of doing things like this because it affects your life 360 degrees. It's not just in one isolated area because, again, we talked about four. We're not different people. We're the same. And I know people sometimes say that they can compartmentalize it, and it's true, right? I've run across people who can't compartmentalize business or personal, but at some point that wall will crumble down because they'll hit a rock bottom. Something will happen to pierce it. And then what happens is those people go into a major valley where they hit rock bottom in a massive level way and their whole life falls apart around them. So if you want to do that, you're just, it's a matter of when, not if, because it happens all the time. True. Uh, Yeah. And it really just comes from a matter of, as I see it, and you know, tell me your thoughts, uh, a combination of self-awareness and being willing to be self-aware. When I discovered my willingness to be self-aware and to understand that there could be all kinds of landmines in my life just waiting to reemerge, wow, was that liberating. Because when I, when I see myself uh, maybe sometimes having a reaction to a certain situation or something's happening, and it's like uh, – you know, why, why, am I, why am I having this reaction to this? Uh, why am I uh, – this doesn't make sense. Why, why, why is this even bothering me? And if I can go back and look at what's happening from the perspective of what happened in my childhood, what happened in my previous job, what happened in an experience that, uh, that may be related to this somehow could be tripping me up now, it really comes to make a lot of, it really comes to make a lot of dollars and cents. Yes, and I think that is what happens to people if they don't do it, right? So the other thing is people saying, I don't, I'm too busy, I don't have enough time, I don't really care, this stuff doesn't really matter. Well, let me tell you, if you decide to ignore it, you will hit a rock bottom, and that valley will cost you a significant amount of money. It will have personal costs because it will probably mean that you end relationships in your life have really strained ones, and it'll take you years to get this all back together. And that's what happens to every single person. Because eventually you can't live your life with people and have these blind spots are the things that trip you up because they're the things that hurt the people around you the most and that you're completely unaware of that go on. And it's every single human being, right? If, if if, If this were not the case, there wouldn't be therapists. Right. Now, I'm not not telling people to do a therapy, but there are quicker ways to do a lot of this for a lot of people. Now, there's a place for therapy depending on the situation and people. But a lot of the times people don't need that extensive time um, in order to go through it. But it's something that everyone should invest in, because if you choose to not, it will eventually cause you failed relationships. And when you remember, 
it, it, and someone might say, well, I got, you know, I met someone and they changed or they did this. No, odds are you just didn't see that because of your blind spots in the places that you're in. And you chose that person. They didn't just choose you. You had a 50% ownership stake in all that point as well, right? I mean, you're part of the whole solution and the whole problem. So it, it doesn't matter whether it's work or anything else, right? You chose that to work for that company or that manager. They just didn't come there. They don't have a gun coming to your house and tell you to go to work, not in the U.S., right? So most right. places were not under that world, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're very right about that. Now, um, now for everybody listening, I mean, we're, you know, Jason and I are not talking about uh, being all woo-woo and catching the feels or anything like that. Uh, and this is not a matter of uh, – you know, you know, you know, being a wuss or something like that. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with that at all. Because um, you know, some people may be listening to this right now and think, well, really, do we have to you know, talk about catching the fields and all this other stuff? Is this really a valuable exercise? But the fact, but the fact is, we're not talking about really being woo-woo or being overly sensitive or something like that. We're talking about understanding the programming of the human mind, which is the most powerful computer that has ever been invented. Yes, and, and you know, I did an experiment. I went to Harvard. Sorry, let me tell you one thing. I did. I went to Harvard Business School for a leadership summit, and one of the professors asked um, people to come up. And these were people from five different countries um, came up, and there were forty different people, and asked to write on a post-it note, right? What are the three qualities that they thought? of their best manager, right, or leader that they've ever met, worked with, or had some time they've spent with them. And they had three buckets, IQ, performance, and then basically a bucket for, like, soft skills. 80% of the Post-it notes, right, there's 120 of them with 40 people, went on to the soft skills, Right, and that's where people are going to rate you, right? And what are those? Those are not your performance. That's not your intelligence, right? It's everything else. So if you're managing and leading people, well, that's going to be extremely important because you're not going to get the most out of them that people don't think that. And if you're an employee in an organization, your value is not just in your productivity. It's in everything else because you're going to make everyone else more productive around you and happier and work longer and harder if it's a better environment to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. You I mean, uh, no, no disagreement here, I can tell you that. So, uh, so, with, all, you know, so with all that being – go ahead, Jason, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was sorry to interrupt. I was, I was getting ready to move on to the next question, unless you had more. Nope. Let's move it on. All right, let's do it. So, purpose is a big issue today. We hear everybody's trying to find their purpose and be aligned with their purpose. Even my, even you've heard me say on the Business Creators Radio Show, um, pointing out the importance of being aligned with your, with your brilliance and your passion. Uh, what do we do to find our purpose? Well, I think the problem is, and I, I found this fortunately years ago, is that I tried all these purpose exercises that were all about external things, right? My purpose in life is to help people do X, Y, and Z or whatever it might be. Right. Well, the problem with people having a purpose developed like that, if you think about this logically, right, and factually, not even emotionally, everyone and everything that's external to you will eventually let you down. 
There isn't a single person, and I've, someone's challenged me on that, and I went through a life experiences with them, and they, I went through stuff, and that person disappointed them in a big way. Uh, it, it happens right. with anyone, right? So everything external to you will let you down. So if your purpose is external to you, it will come and go. It will ebb and flow, and you will not have any control out of it because you cannot control what goes on external to you. What you can do is control things that are internal to you because you have power over that because no one can do anything that you, to you that you don't allow to happen to yourself, no matter what it might be, right? Right. Um, from the greatest tragedies in the world, whatever it is. So the key thing there is the most powerful thing that we have that motivates us more than anything else is our emotion, right? And everyone's emotional, even logical people emotions run their decision-making process. Even if they use the veil of logic, it's actually not true when you go into how, they're, how they format decisions, how they actually implement them and everything else. So the key is on the emotional side of things. And so once you know that emotions are driving the car, you then can say to yourself, okay, well then, you know, that's helpful, but, but how do I go further? And then I say to yourself, okay, the key thing is to understand the, your most powerful emotions and drivers and where you're at in your life today. Because if you could tap into those top emotions that really bring you the most happiness, fulfillment, excitement, um, whatever it might be, you will be way more successful than you currently are. And when you're having a bad day or you're feeling like you're at a low moment, you know that if you tap into those emotions, you're immediately going to be in a much better place. And so the key is and how to do that is to look back at the happiest times in your life, right? And I told people to do this, you know, in a more formal exercise, but to go back to the earliest, you know, times you can remember it. And what you'll find is that there will be patterns that will occur moving forward, no matter whether you're at five or whether you're at 50 years old. There'll be um, emotions you can extrapolate out. And what you do is you write down three or four of these memories, whatever they are. You then ask yourself, you know, what emotions did I feel? In that moment, right? And if you don't know an emotions list, Google one, right? And you could come up with them and put them alongside of it. Then you ask yourself the next choice, and you just go through this by process of elimination and say, would I rather feel this emotion or that emotion, right, in order to be something, Uh right? Would I rather feel, um, would it be happiness or would I rather feel, you know, connection, right? Or do I want to find peace? Um, or do I want to find some other emotion, right? And which one resonates more with me? And if not, you ask yourself, you know, do I need to feel happy to feel belonging, right? Or is it the other right. way around? And you basically go through these emotions, you know, come up with two or three that come to the top. And then what you do is you just feed in those, right? Because for me, yeah. it's connection and belonging. So immediately I know that when I start interacting with people, my emotional state goes much higher, right? I knew that working corporate America wasn't the answer because at one point I was working way too much time by myself, right? So I could see my moods and performance correlate to my interactions with people, mostly outside the organization, um, but that's really important. And now it's the same thing as an entrepreneur. If I sit in here writing all day, I know at some point most likely my mood is going to go down and I need to do something to be around other people, and it immediately goes up. So that's how you really create a purpose that's meaningful in your life is to tap into your emotional drivers and really fill up those tanks all the time and as much as you can. And then it makes it much more simple um, to create a life where you're not procrastinating, you're unmotivated. Because when you are, 
it's because you're not doing those things. Right. Right. True. True. And, uh, you know, you raise a very good point. Um, when we see people, and I've unfortunately run into very good folks who have gotten, who have gotten stuck uh, in, the, in, these, in these traps to a certain point where um, it's like they depend on the favor of somebody, you know, they, they depend on the favor of somebody else. Uh, like they, you know, they base their happiness on, does somebody else approve of me? Does somebody else support me? Does somebody else return my phone call or something like that? And uh, that can be a, a very, very unhappy place to be. Right. And, and again, because you're powerless over that, right? I mean, like if, if Adam and I tomorrow said we want five more clients and if we don't get those five clients, we're going to be extremely unhappy. Like we don't have any control over that. We may get 50, right, <laughs> or we may get zero in the time frame we have, but we don't have control over that. But we do have control right. over every day waking up and saying, I have a choice to be happy or not. And no matter what happens in that day, I am going to be happy, right? Well, what happens at that point is we'll be attracting more, more things with that because bees attract more with honey, right, than vinegar, as they say. So that's how yeah. your life is. But, but – you can't just say that to yourself every day and make it happen. You've got to find your unique drivers, right? I know people that I've done to talk to that adventure was one of the emotions that was really powerful. So you know what? They started traveling more, and they started working and they were traveling, and they transformed their entire life because that was when they were the happiest. Well, then you have to create a life that you love and based on things that you can control in your life, and it will be transformative. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're not able to recreate the happiest moments in your life. And that's what the most successful people are able to do. They recreate the happiest moments in their life on a very consistent basis rather than have only moments that are having them happen all the time. And you can do that too because it's a simple process. Because, again, people don't want to sit down and take a few minutes to figure out, oh, this makes me really happy, right? Well, you know, yeah. I mean, but that's what you need to be able – to do right i mean otherwise if you if, if passion and excitement and really high emotions for you and you're working in a job where you're just going through the motions every day well, you know what the reason you aren't happy and the reason you're making choices in your life is because you're just at a deficit so you wouldn't be making the same choices if you went so that means you probably need a career change start your own business maybe even that any pivot you can make is going to make a massive difference because you're not in the right place but you don't know that because you're not monitoring your emotional states or you're just thinking that it's caused by external things that are doing this, right? It's like, well, if I found that person, that would make me happier. If I had better friends, if I had a better job, none of that stuff is a reasons why that you're in the state that you're in. That, that's maybe right. in, ultimately, yes, it'd be better for you to have that, but you need to be able to make that happen, not be powerless around the world and be a victim. Otherwise, that you're living in scarcity your whole life, and that not much good is going to come out of it. Yeah, that's very that's very true, and I mean, I think that's I think that's a great message for um, for everybody to um, for everybody to hear today. Uh, yeah, very 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 powerful stuff. So let's kind of start bringing this all together in the 15 minutes we have left here. You know, we've talked about this from the leadership perspective. We've talked about this from the employee perspective of finding the work friend and making the uh, connections. So with everything we've talked about so far, starting to bring it all together, what can we do to build better relationships? Well, I think the first thing is that it's pretty it's, – it's much more simple 
than we think it is. I think it's you've just got to sit down. One thing I tell people, which will make a massive difference overnight, is practicing empathy. If you put, if you just put yourself in someone else's shoes, you will make tremendous strides, especially when you're in conflict or disagreement or have to reach common ground. Because you'll find win-win situations and you'll be able to relate to what's going on. Because a lot of the times what happens when we talk to people is that um, I have a conversation with Adam. Well, Adam says, well, Jason, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, I'm thinking about my counter argument. I'm not actually listening to what you're saying. So when you can actually stop and listen to what people are saying, you can find a lot more common ground and see where they're coming from and understand that their fears, other things that are going on that you may be able to address to get them to the place that ultimately you both can win at. So I would say that's like the first thing to do all the time. I'd say second is that you have to be more vulnerable in your life with the people around you. And you have to share more things proactively because everyone wants to learn about everyone else and wants to be vulnerable, but no one wants to lead with it. Well, when you lead with vulnerability, then people start sharing and opening up. And then that will help you in a tremendous way, uh, personally and professionally. And the third thing is I created a game on cards, right? And you could do that with anyone. But the key is, is find ways where you can start asking people more questions and getting to know them um, in a much more personal way and being much more inquisitive, right? And curiosity yeah. is one of the qualities that is the most important in our society and one of the most undervalued ones. And you need to get more curious and dig into what's going on, you know, around you. I think the fourth thing is, again, you know, really figure out where your blind spots are. And you have to start digging into it, and that's not an easy process. And it's hard to do, but it's a requirement for us as human beings if we want to get to the next level. And for business people, it's a requirement um, to get to the highest levels. Because if not, um, bad things will happen. Look at Uber, right? That guy who was who yeah. ran Uber, Travis, right? smart guy, built a great company, but you know what? He's not on the outside looking in because he didn't get help and he didn't listen to anyone around him. And he decided that he was going to run it his way and he didn't care. And he had board members that were super smart, but what happened? His blind spots overwhelmed him, right? I mean, almost all these great leaders, that's what happens because their ego gets in the way. You've got to put aside your ego and really look at your blind spots at that point. And then, you know, you got to invest in yourself as finding your blind spots, will also invest in other people in your relationships. And I think once you start doing those things, you will see a massive lift in your life. And a lot of those things require zero-dollar output, right? Some do, but oh. there's many of these things that don't. And all, all it requires of you is a little bit of your time, which really isn't that much. Um, and, you know, you have to want to do it. And if you don't want to do it, well, then none of this stuff's going to matter because you won't do it. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. And, you know, you look at the Uber story, and, again, I don't know how well this conversation is going to age. Who knows what's going to happen in the next months or years or what have you. But when you look at all the underpinnings of all the things that have happened with Uber, all the challenges with their CEO, all of the uh, issues they've had with their employees and some of the public perception and what have you, um, has to do with uh, – you know, I think a disconnection from purpose and a disconnection from having the relationships. We could look at other things that have happened in 2017. Uh, think of United Airlines and uh, when they dragged that poor innocent man off the off the airplane and beat the hell out of him because they wanted to give his seat to a deadhead after he had already paid for it. What did that do to them? 
And what made no, it, what I, really I made it bad? What, yeah, what what really made it bad was the communication on the incident or lack thereof. Yeah. Uh, I mean, other airlines have done very very similar things. Uh, you know, they've removed paying passengers so they could give it to one of their own deadheads, but the person didn't end up with blood streaming out of his scalp and uh, international outcry over it. It's all a matter of really came down to communication and how you dealt with your culture. Yep. And that's why I think it's important for people to spend more time on it if you're a business owner, because that is your destiny is the people you have hired. Because if they're not, the more productive people you have, the more money you're going to make and the more successful you're going to be because there's only one of you. And you can't scale, right? It's impossible. No matter what level or what your business is or how much money you have in the door, you can't scale. Even if you're a solopreneur, it's about how you're managing your relationships with the people that you're working with outside, your own clients, your prospects, and everything else that is going to dictate how well you grow your business. And yeah. that's in your own culture, too. What do you stand for? Yeah. Right. Right. I think I, – I really, I really think – I really think so. Um, so I guess the next thing I want to uh, – next thing I want to ask you, and this is a little bit um, off the charts of our original plan, but I think this is so relevant, especially when we talk about why people become entrepreneurs and what happens – to what happens to folks when they uh, find themselves challenged to work in companies. I mean, you know, so many of our listeners, and this has happened to me, perhaps it's happened to you, uh, find themselves get labeled as quote-unquote unemployable. My argument is if you have somebody in your organization who is quote-unquote unemployable, that's because you're not employing them. Uh, I want to get your reaction to that statement and tell me what you think about the whole concept of the quote-unquote unemployables. I mean, I think there's two things. I think that that often is the case, right? I mean, I think there are ways that you can better utilize people. You can probably help them get training, skill sets, other things that can actually get them to really maximize it. Now, the requirement for that is buy-in, right? So that person has to want to do it and have to be bought into the process. And I think if they are and they're willing, then I think you can get people who are lower-performing people to get significantly higher pretty fast, right, if they want to do those things, right, and that's the key. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just some people may be in the wrong spot, they may be in the wrong business, maybe that, at that point it's saying you should be an entrepreneur and working in an organization is not your right spot. So I think there's, you know, there's a self-inquiry that needs to go on there, right, and to understand want, is this a really good fit, am I in the right place, and then I think if you're an employer, then you have to be open and willing to try to work and help those people because ultimately if you help someone, a lower-performing person, be much higher performing, they're going to be extremely loyal and not leave because they're going to feel much better around themselves and they're going to feel loyalty because they know that no one else would have invested and helped them at that point. And that's just how we are as human beings. So I think it's a win-win if both sides do the required work. Right. I think that's I think that's very true. And when I look at the person who's unemployable, and I remember um, how some of the circumstances that uh, cut that label put on me, and also some of the stories I've heard from other folks, is when you have somebody who is quote unquote unemployable, this is the person who doesn't stay quiet and nod 
at at the uh, at the endless meetings. This is the person who um, is not always going to be sitting in the perfect posture at their cubicle, looking straight at their keyboard with their fingers on the correct fingers, and will always answer the phone on the second ring. They're just not that person. Uh, this is the person who's not going to uh, weigh whether or not they speak up about something that obviously is going to cause the money to lose, cause the company to lose a lot of money, uh, because they want to be real careful that their words don't bother the creator of whatever it is that's about to tank that company, or they simply will not accept that a person's value as a human being is not dictated by their position on an org chart. And when you start to look beyond these types of things, you begin to understand that your so-called unemployables are possibly some of your best contributors of all because they care. Yes. They they have a they have a passion. They they yeah, they will not accept mediocrity. Yeah. They will not go with the flow. They will not speak carefully because the person who came up with this stupid idea has a title with the word senior director in front of it. They will not go through the motions. They will not settle for anything. And all you have to do is take that passion and embrace it and channel it and wow, can you get some results? Because you already have, in many cases, the marriage of the passion and the purpose, the intersection of the brilliance and the passion. Agreed. And I think that, you know, that it, again, that goes into organizational culture, what your values are, um, and a lot of other things to harness the abilities of those individuals and people, right? And then guide them and help them, right? So if someone may be very outspoken, um, but may not have a lot of tact, right? Well, then what you do is you help teach them some emotional intelligence, some empathy, and some other things. And if they're willing and open, they can make a significant difference in this stuff pretty fast, right? These are things that are all right. learned behaviors that you can do, right? I mean, they're not – I mean, that's the great thing about all the stuff we're talking about. Any soft skill or anything else outside of your IQ, right, is something that is a learned behavior, and some people are better at it early on because of their environmental cues. Some of it, you know, they argue in their DNA, and that's, I, I think there's some truth to that. But you can get significantly better at all of these things really fast if you're focused on them, right? You can be better and more empathetic in probably a very short period of time, meaning hours of focusing on yeah. it and reading and getting help. It doesn't, and that will really make a big difference in what's going on. So this isn't stuff that you can't do really fast. Nothing here we're talking about today is a requirement that you, it's going to take you months to do of intensive work. No, you could just do a little bit of work here and there and get significantly better on it. And I think if you're an employee or, you know, in a business or, you know, even yourself, like an entrepreneur or a leader, I mean, all these things are, are things that you need to really – take a hard look in the mirror on because if you choose to not do it, there are some significant consequences that will come and you won't be living a life that you're both successful and fulfilled, which is the hardest life to build for any of us. Yeah, that's very true. So as we come toward the end of our time together here, and boy, I wish we could go for another two hours because I think there's so much we can cover. Uh, Jason, first of all, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an Great experience. Now, for those folks who are on the edge of their seats listening to this, thinking that you know, there may be, they may want to do more starting now to create a higher-performing culture, uh, 
how do you serve business creators and what do you have available for us? Well, I mean, I have, you know, you can go to my website, you know, jasontroy.com uh, is jasontreu.com. And, you know, I have services on individual group coaching, group coaching. I have a fast track coaching program for six weeks I do with people. And also I have a game on my website, Cards Against Mundanity, that you can download and play in your organization for free. Um, I give you instructions how to do it and then things you can do afterwards. And it's, uh, it's, it's powerful. And I also have the slides you can download on the page. So we literally have everything you could do to do it on your own and leverage it and make an immediate impact in your culture and really take it to the next level. Wow. Great. I mean, that's, that's, that's great. Um, uh, yeah, jasontroy.com, J-A-S-O-N-T-R-E-U.com is where you find this information. So uh, we have just a moment here. I mean, any, uh, you know, final thoughts you have for our listeners or anything that uh, they should consider as they move forward? Yeah. I, you know, all I have to say is I think for people that the key thing is pick something and start trying to figure it out, whether it's your purpose, whether it's figuring out your blind spots, whether it's working on some soft skills. I mean, start investing in yourself today, whatever it might be, because you're going to see huge benefits from that. And if you don't, what's going to happen if you're a business owner is you're really going to be minimizing what you could be doing. Um, I think if you're an employee or a solopreneur, I mean, you're really not seeing the full benefits that you could if you actually did all this stuff. Plus, you can be a lot more happier, more excited, you know, more fulfilled, and all of those things are going to really cause your entire life to think a major upswing. So really the best time is starting out. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for that. And for everybody listening, uh, this uh, we've had Jason Troy on the line here. I want to thank you very much. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on outlets like iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. And Jason, wait, wait one second. I have to do one other thing. Jason Troy. Because I googled yes. up the pronunciation of your name at the very beginning. I'm sorry about that. I just wanted to say it again on the recording. Okay. Let me do it in a couple different pitches. Jason Troy. Jason Troy. Jason Troy. All right. One of those is going to hit. All right. So, yeah, that way we can just cut out that one little piece and replace it. So now I can stop the recording. All right.